G'day folks, welcome to episode 105 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we've got some interesting community news to go over. We're going to be talking about a recent blog post from one of the Linux Mint developers around uh, the application or not thereof for security updates for Linux Mint users, as well as a, a new story about Google funding some kernel development, uh, Linux kernel development in particular in, uh, in security. And then we're also going to be doing our roundup of vulnerability fixes for the past week. So let's just dive straight into it. Up first, we had an update for Bind. Uh, this is a popular DNS server. Uh, this was for uh, Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support, respectively, and 2010. Uh, this is a single CVE and uh, affected those using the GSS TSIG um, configuration. So this is something that is used in particular with um, Samba integration or Active Directory domain controllers. So it's not enabled out of the box. But if you were using this, it was possible that a remote attacker could cause a denial of service or possible a remote code execution as a result. It should be noted that Bind has a, an AppArmor profile enabled with it by default in Ubuntu, so it is pretty tightly confined as to what it can access. And so that means that if it were potentially to be exploited, that that damage is uh, limited. So that is, uh, that's good to see. It was also interesting to see that uh, the upstream Bind developers, uh, IC, uh, released a couple different advisories after this vulnerability to say that their upstream versions included a couple different regressions. Uh, they released version 9, 16, 12 to fix this, and they ended up recommending that uh, downstream distributions should ship 9, 16, 11, the previous version, but just with the uh, fix for this vulnerability backported. And that's just the kind of thing we do in Ubuntu already. You know, we don't update to generally, we don't update to the latest and greatest version to fix vulnerabilities. We instead uh, backport security fixes. And we do it just for that reason, because it is, minimizes the chance of us introducing regressions as a result. But anyway, yeah, so let's move on. We also had an update for OpenSSL. Uh, two different CVEs were rolled into this for, again, 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support releases and 2010, the Groovy Gorilla. Uh, one of these was a null pointer dereference uh, that could be triggered when parsing uh, malicious issuer fields in X509 certificates. Uh, this would result in a crash and therefore denial of service to whatever application was using OpenSSL. And kind of similarly, uh, there was a possible buffer overflow in some particular library functions within OpenSSL, uh, but they would only occur if the uh, caller was providing a buffer size that was int max, so the maximum size of an integer uh, to the function. So that's probably pretty unlikely, but again, that was also fixed as well. Uh, similarly, we had an update for OpenSSL in our extended security maintenance releases. So that is 12.04 and 14.04 extended security maintenance. Uh, one of these was, again, that null pointer dereference that I mentioned previously. Uh, but there was also another null pointer dereference that was fixed in this, and that was for a vulnerability that I mentioned back in episode 100 that, again, happened during certificate parsing, but this was in the EDI party names uh, field of the certificates. So they were both fixed for extended security maintenance customers. An update was done for WebKit GTK as well. Uh, a single CVE here, here was a use after free in audio handling. So it's the kind of thing that could be triggered by a malicious web page. Uh, you know, therefore could get possible uh, code execution on your local machine. There was an update as well for Jackson. Uh, this is a JSON processor for Java and in particular allows uh, you know, to map uh, JSON attributes to Java objects and flaws in the deserialization of, of different JSON was uh, enabling that various classes could be mapped to the resulting input and therefore could allow a possible remote code execution attack as a result. 
So the fix to this was just to make sure that those certain classes were denied from being matched to. Uh, there was also a fix for an, an XML external entity include issue that could have uh, resulted in remote code execution as well there for Jackson. So that has been fixed for 6.04 long-term support. Uh, an update for Apache Shiro, uh, two different CVEs here for 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support users. Uh, both of these were possible authentication bypass issues when using uh, Spring Dynamic Controllers. Uh, as well, we had an update for Django for 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support and 2010 releases. In this case, it was a fix for a possible web cache poisoning attack. In this case, um, basically what would happen is the, uh, the URIs that requested would get interpreted differently, uh, whether it was the proxy or whether it was acting as the server. And so then because of that, you could get malicious requests that would ordinarily be blocked uh, being cached by the proxy and then getting returned as a result. Uh, so yeah, that was fixed as well. An update was done for GDK PixBuff for our most recent releases, 20.04 long-term support and the Groovy Gorilla. Uh, this was a single vulnerability. Uh, it was an integer underflow in the GIF loader or GIF loader uh, and could result in possible code execution as a result. So your um, GTK apps that are in, uh, interpreting GIF images are a little safer now. Uh, there was an update as well for open LDAP, again, going back to 16.04 long-term support, uh, 18.04 long-term support, 20.04 long-term support and the 2010. Uh, this was a possible assertion failure that could be triggered uh, through crafted timestamp content. Again, that would uh, trigger a crash and uh, denial of service as a result. And finally, we had an update for QMU. Uh, this was for a single CVE that was originally addressed uh, about a week ago, but as a result uh, caused some regression. So we've released uh, an update here to address that. In particular, when uh, that vulnerability was fixed, we backported a bunch of different patches, but uh, a few were missed in, uh, in particular as to how uh, RISC-V emulation was done. And so that could cause possible crashes in as a result. And so that's now been fixed to add those missing patches. So if you are emulating RISC-V, uh, you are a little bit uh, more stable now as a result. And that is it for this week in Security Update. That was a bit of a whirlwind tour. Uh, so yeah, uh, up next, I wanted to talk about a couple different, uh, I guess, Linux security articles that I've seen lately. In particular, the first one was about Linux Mint, and they've recently put out a blog post urging their users to install security updates, which is a bit strange uh, because this is the kind of thing that I think uh, people should obviously just be doing anyway and should actually be happening automatically for them. Security updates are the kind of thing that I think you shouldn't have to think to install. They should just already be there. You know, security shouldn't be an optional feature. It should be you know, an integral part of the uh, product that you're offering. And so uh, this blog post was picked up by uh, ZDNet and The Register and others. Uh, it was by one of the lead developers, Clem or Clement Lefebvre. Uh, and again, yeah, it was discussing how um, they've been observing that users aren't installing security updates. And so they have a bunch of different metrics around this, um, but it's interesting to kind of look back at the history of Linux Mint. So Linux Mint is an Ubuntu derivative. Uh, that means they are you know, re relying on the Ubuntu archive and they are using a lot of the security updates that are done for Ubuntu directly in Linux Mint. And people often, I guess, compare that to the relationship between Debian and Ubuntu. So whilst in Ubuntu, we do uh, build on top of Debian, we don't just take the security updates that Debian releases. In general, what happens is during our development cycles, we are kind of importing all of the Debian source packages uh, into Ubuntu, and then we are rebuilding those. 
and we're potentially applying our own patches and changes on top of that. But then once the release is released and then it's being supported, we aren't taking fixes from Debian generally. We are um, deploying those fixes ourselves. So it's the security team here at Ubuntu that are independently rolling in fixes for uh, security issues and also our other teams at Ubuntu as well that are doing their fixes too. Sometimes we may take uh, fixes from Debian or reuse them and uh, you know, conversely, they often take fixes from us as well. So it's a bit more give and take relationship there. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to look back at some of the history of Linux Mint in particular as to how they pertain to security. So Linux Mint uh, was the subject of a bit of a high profile attack back in 2016. In February there, their website was hacked and uh, the link to their um, installer ISO image was replaced uh, to point to a malicious one. And this malicious one had a backdoor in it that would then uh, you know, try to contact a uh, command and control server. Um, so yeah, they were quite open about that at the time, but obviously it was a high profile incident and you know, not a great look, unfortunately. There's also, you know, Linux Mint are one of the distributions that recommends that you turn off Secure Boot uh, because their uh, images are not, uh, in particular their shim is not signed by Microsoft, it's not trusted uh, as part of that Secure Boot chain and so they can't work in a Secure Boot environment. So that means that to run Linux Mint, uh, unfortunately you're having to, I guess, sacrifice that part of the platform security. And finally, uh, Linux Mint in the past, uh, they have their own update manager, so a GUI application for installing uh, updates. And it used to have this safety rating that it would um, put next to security updates to kind of say how safe they said uh, different security updates were to install. And this wasn't done on, say, uh, observing that when you installed a particular security update that some number of users uh, you know, would get a regression or anything like that. It was done solely on the fact that, say, you know, a kernel update could potentially be risky because you know, if the kernel update goes wrong, it stops your machine from booting. Whereas if, say, a GUI app that you know, you've installed, gets an update, that's not so bad. And so it, there was no real um, kind of science there as to how they rated what one was more safe or not. And it wasn't really a measure of how uh, safe that particular update was. It was more around how they perceived, you know, the safety of your, of your system on making any change to that package. And so this had the effect that in particular for certain packages and classes of packages, they wouldn't even by default um, select those to be upgraded. Uh, so you have the security updates installed by default for those. And so for some users, they were never installing those security updates. Other users would see this dialogue and think, well, gee, all of these look potentially a bit unsafe because I've got some you know, unknown safety rating with them. So they never installed updates at all. Uh, so it's not surprising that in the past this has created an impression for Linux Mint users that security updates weren't the best thing to install, that these could potentially be unsafe for them and you know, they weren't in the habit of sec installing security updates. Uh, I have noticed that in the more recent releases, in particular the 19.2 release of Linux Mint, they removed that kind of safety rating from security updates in their update manager and they were installing all of them by default in that case, which was good to see. So then... Coming back to this blog post, it wasn't surprising that then they said that they saw only 30% of users applying updates uh, after one week after, say, this most recent Firefox update had been pushed out by them. So that meant then that you know within a week, only 30% of users were then uh, protected against whatever vulnerabilities had been found in Firefox. They also went on to say that 30% um, of their users are still running their old 17.x release. Now this release of Linux Mint went end of life in April 2019, that's nearly two years old now. Um, this is based on the Ubuntu 14.04 release, which uh, has reached the end of standard support and is now uh, in extended security maintenance. Um, so 
given that yeah they have this kind of culture of not applying updates and potentially lots of users running older unsupported releases i can understand why they put this blog post out and it is really good to see this uh, it's good to see that they are now advocating that users are you know should be installing security updates that they shouldn't be wary of them and that you know they should be moving on from these older non-supported uh, releases uh, I did notice in there actually it was interesting they talked about um, kind of security updates are safe and one way that they said uh, that they help in this is that they enable the use of TimeShift by default. Now TimeShift is an application in the universe section of the Ubuntu repository and it's very similar uh, to, to Apple's Time Machine uh, so that you know, on if you're a Mac OS user you're familiar with that and it does sort of these seamless uh, backups of your whole machine uh, behind the scenes and so TimeShift provides something similar for Linux. Uh, it has in the past had a few security vulnerabilities in it itself uh, unfortunately but yeah it does allow you to do kind of whole system backups and that kind of thing which is good to see so yeah it's interesting that they kind of advocate the use of that um, as well as obviously installing security updates and I guess that's done so that if say there was a security update for the kernel or something like that that then unfortunately made your machine unbootable you would be able to roll back using TimeShift as a result. Uh, it was also interesting to see in this blog post too that they talked about the fact that so for these older uh, users or so for these users on these older releases still like 17.x that aren't supported anymore they decided to push a, an emergency release update of Firefox to upgrade it from the old uh, 66 version that they had there to the uh, 78 uh, ESR version so the kind of long-term supported version of Firefox uh, from Mozilla uh, this is interesting because obviously it does give those users now some protection, uh, but it does sort of um, remove the impetus for those users to have to upgrade their, their Mint release from 17.x to something more recent that is actually properly supported because they've now gone and kind of supported them just a little bit in the interim. Uh, so yeah, I think I would have liked to have seen them uh, more strongly say, look, you really just need to upgrade your whole uh, install here because obviously there are many other applications that aren't getting security updates on that old 17.x release and those users are still vulnerable. So anyone that's listening to this uh, that is running an old version of Linux Mint or even an old version of Ubuntu, I urge you to upgrade. Uh, and yeah, uh, and if you're not installing security updates, obviously I urge that you should be doing that. And in particular, the use of unattended upgrades in Ubuntu uh, is a great feature to do that behind the scenes for you. All right. So the other thing I want to talk about this week briefly was uh, an article from the Linux Foundation about a couple of different engineers from Google to work exclusively on security in the Linux kernel. And so this is uh, Gustavo Silva and Nathan Chancellor. So both of these actually have been already doing uh, security work uh, while at Google on the kernel. In particular, uh, Nathan has been working on uh, the Clang LLVM backend for the kernel so that you can compile the kernel with Clang. Uh, this is great work to see uh, because obviously Clang is a separate tool chain, uh, has you know, some other different static analysis features and the like in it and does enable you know, detection of different classes of bugs and the like in the kernel, which that's always cool to see. Uh, you know, having just a monoculture of GCC isn't always the best. So that is, as I say, great work to see that. And you know, the work there that he's doing is looking at triaging and fixing bugs that are found through Clang and LLVM and setting up continuous integration systems as well to be using that against the kernel. So that's cool. Uh, the other thing, as I say, was uh, Gustavo Silva, again, has already been doing work on the kernel and particular through the KSPP project. Uh, he's always one of the more um, high profile committers to the kernel through all the different parts of code that, that 
uh, that work touches. So he's done work in the past on uh, the use of variable length arrays in the kernel to again be able to allow the compilers to detect various uh, bug classes that may get introduced and the like too. So that's cool to see uh, that the opposite Google are funding this kind of more critical infrastructure work uh, and particularly in relation to security is always great to see because that's something that we can benefit from in Ubuntu as well. You know, future kernel updates and kernel releases that implement these features and close off these bug classes and the like uh, is always the kind of stuff that we like to be seeing and being able to ship in Ubuntu is uh, yeah, a great feature for our users too. So thanks Google uh, in particular for funding this work. That's great to see. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team to kind of talk about anything that you've heard about in this week's episode or otherwise Ubuntu security related, feel free to email us at security@ubuntu.com. If you want a more live chat, you can reach us in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. There is the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want to come and create a topic and discuss that there too. And finally, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec there as well. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. It's been great to do this all again for you. I'll be back again next week, but remember, until then, keep calm because we've got your back, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.